You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, if I could give my message today a second title, it would be this, On the Virtues of Eavesdropping. I know we're not technically supposed to eavesdrop, but come on, we all do it, right? Listening to the conversation, the children in the backseat of the car, uh, the painters on their lunch break, unsuspecting, that couple that just met over the internet, the table just beside you. And we just learn so much when we listen in, right? What we say when we think nobody else is listening. Uh, David one day went into his garage. He wanted to see if he, his golf clubs were still there and blow the dust off them because he'd been invited to join a foursome uh, from his workplace this Saturday. It had been a long time since he had golfed, but he agreed to do it because he wanted to get to know this group of buddies a little bit better. And uh, while he's there fiddling around with his clubs, he uh, hears his wife, Monique. She's upstairs in the room above the garage and kind of hear through the floor, but hearing was pretty good because she must have had an open window. And uh, he moved over to the window in the garage, which was also opened. And just had a little bit of a listen. He could, she was sort of animated and um, he's catching bits and pieces of it. He realized she's talking to my parents and they're talking about a party. He had a 50th birthday that was coming up, but not for a while. But apparently uh, Monique was planning to bring his parents out for the weekend as a surprise and invite a bunch of people over and uh, this whole big deal. He's very excited. His heart was beating as he's listening. And then he's realized, I'm not supposed to be hearing any of this, but he was eavesdropping. And because he was eavesdropping, he had the advantage of being able to cancel this uh, golf plan that was going to be this weekend and make sure he was fully available. He could get the pruning shears out uh, Friday night and make sure, you know, the landscaping all looked just the way it should look. And <laughs> to come to his door when his parents rang the doorbell and look properly surprised. Oh my gosh, right? The virtues of eavesdropping. The reason I go through all this is because if, if the Bible is to believe, be believed, uh, God is trying to get through to you. God has a message for you. And I guess the question is, what does it take to really hear? The story of Jesus was referred to by all who knew him as good news. And today we're going to begin a study in what we call the good news of Mark or the gospel of Mark. And Mark uses the phrase good news more than any of the other gospel writers. In our small groups, we're going to look at each of these instances and discover what it is that Mark really meant when he spoke of good news. Let's begin where Mark begins in uh, chapter 1 of the gospel of Mark. So would you please open your Bible to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And if you didn't bring a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in front of you there, the black book, and turn to page 812. Let's all read this together. If you're able, would you stand and join me in reading Mark Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. When we're done reading this good news, uh, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, we're reading God's holy word. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. So I'd like to speak with you today about the virtues of eavesdropping, and I'll offer you three virtues, three advantages. And the first one is this, the joy of surprise. You never know what you might hear if you eavesdrop. The joy of surprise. Notice Mark begins by saying the beginning of the good news. This good news, it's meant to be a surprise. This gospel message about which he writes. Gospel is not a word that was ever used of any kind of literature before the four evangelists wrote their stories of Jesus. It's not a word about a, about a book. So it's, it's not that Mark's saying, this is the beginning of my book. It's, it's This is the beginning of my telling you good news. And that phrase, good news, uh, it literally means good message uh, in the Greek. It, it comes out of the news media of the ancient world. Uh, obviously, they didn't get their news from the internet. They sent heralds out with the news. Um, at rather low uh, broadband rates, the heralds would go, you know, on foot or on a horse or something from a, a battle or a momentous uh, event back to town and tell them what happened. It's really a report of something that happens, a positive report of something uh, that happens, a surprising uh, report. So, for example, in 1 Samuel 31, 9, uh, the Philistines defeat Saul, the king of Israel, wipe out his army. And then we read that uh, they sent, quote, sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news. It's kind of just a secular word. The, the, the Philistines sent out heralds. Hey, spread the good news. We won that one. That's pretty good for us. We, we beat Israel. That's what they said. So it was good news. We see this phrase, good news, not only in the Jewish tradition, but also in the wider Roman world of this day. In fact, today, if you go to Berlin, the Berlin Museum, you can see an inscription that uses this phrase called the Prien inscription. It's actually quite interesting. If you Google it, you could read uh, more about it. But uh, basically, it celebrates uh, Caesar Augustus's birthday. Caesar Augustus uh, unified the Roman Empire following 13 years of civil war. If you remember your history, Julius Caesar was stabbed in the Roman Senate, and, this, and for 13 years they fought, the whole empire fought over who was going to succeed. And it wasn't until Augustus Caesar at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, a sea battle, uh, defeated, you know, uh, I forget who it was, Mark Antony and Brutus Cassius, these guys, um, he finally was able to bring peace. Peace, economic, social, um, a political peace to the whole region around the Mediterranean, where from Africa to Europe and Asia to the east, peace came. And so they want to celebrate the birth of Caesar Augustus, and they used this little slogan. The, the Prean inscription says, among other things, uh, that Augustus's birthday, quote, signaled the beginning of good news for the world. Do you hear the echo in verse 1? 
It's like Marcus ripping off a line from the culture of his day. This inscription is nine years before the birth of Jesus. He's saying, no, you know, just like we all knew that we, kept, we got peace in the whole world when Augustus uh, was, was born because he unified. In the same way, the story I'm about to tell you is about to tell you a spectacular story, a surprising story about a man who brings peace to the whole world. Uh, and it's good news. Now, notice he says this is the beginning of the good news. And um, again, he's not just saying this is the beginning of my story. He's consciously using the word beginning at the beginning of this good news, this report, in the same way that the Bible uses the word beginning on its very first page. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. This is a, this is a whole new situation. This is a, a, good, a good report about a whole new situation, Mark. I'm writing to tell you, as I tell you about Jesus, this is something as dramatic as a whole like new creation, if you will. You may not have changed yet, but the ground underneath your feet is no longer the same because of this great report that I have, this great victory that I have to tell you about what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's a whole new situation. See, so... You're hearing something that's unexpected. And if you really listen, you might prepare yourself for the joy of surprise. You haven't heard anything like this news before. Let me just pause and take a moment to say that good news is not at all like good advice. And here's where those of us who are religious, I think, really get this wrong. We think that religion is about good uh, advice. And, and maybe religion is about good advice, but that's not what Mark is talking about here. He's talking about good news. Good advice is what you'd better do. You know, it's these steps, these behaviors, you better get it right. It's, I'm telling you what you have to do when I'm giving you good advice. But if I'm giving you good news, I'm not telling you to do anything. There may be implications for what you do, but I'm telling you what's been done. I'm telling you what happened. I'm telling you about something that's so spectacular that's going to change the things that you, you, you do, but it's already been done, and it's good. See? So let me ask you just to eavesdrop for a second. Would you be willing, right here, right now, to eavesdrop on yourself? Take a moment to tap into the traffic in your head and, and listen. What do you hear more often between your ears. Do you hear advice or do you hear news? Do you hear do or do you hear done? Do you hear you'd better be good or do you hear, you know, it's not really about you? Do you hear try harder or do you hear trust more? Do you hear words of anxiety or words of hope? How do you speak to yourself? So uh, the first virtue of eavesdropping is the joy of surprise. You might hear something unexpected. The second virtue of eavesdropping is the power to prepare. Uh, we can get ready. It's like David could anticipate uh, a change in plans for the weekend. And so in the same way, John the Baptist, this interesting figure, calls Israel to prepare the way of the Lord. See that in verse 3? That was his message, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I want to suggest to you that the Bible allows us to eavesdrop on God. It's clear to me that John the Baptist has been eavesdropping on God. That's why he's calling himself and his compatriots to prepare. He's been listening to what God has been saying. And how is that possible, you ask? Well, it's because of this book. It's because of, this, of the Scripture. 
Uh, he's quoting the scripture. He's, this quotation that Mark gives us is, a, is a, an aggregate of uh, a section from uh, Exodus, something from Malachi, and most importantly from Isaiah. And John the Baptist is quoting Isaiah. He knows what's happening, uh, not in specific terms like Anna James wishes we could all know, reading the end of the book, but he does know how the story ends in broad strokes. And he's now calling uh, his, his, his fellow believers to prepare for that. We have a whole new situation that's coming, an entirely new context. It's a joyful, surprising situation. So let's get ready. Let's make plans, he's saying. And he calls people to repent. My wife, Anne, came back yesterday after being away for a week, and it was awesome uh, to finally have her home. But she kept watching, walking around the kitchen and saying, everything is so clean. And she sounded really surprised, and I was kind of hurt by that. <laughs> I was reminded of a time when Ann and I were on vacation. We were in Idaho, and we were in the pharmacy for whatever reason, and we got a text message from one of our children who shall remain nameless, and it was, it was a picture of how messy our kitchen was. This child was reporting on a sibling who was refusing to do any cleanup tasks in the kitchen, and you could just see, oh my gosh, it was just a complete mess. Well, well when we got home at the end of the week, it looked spotless. They, they had prepared. You know, it, it looked beautiful. They apparently waited till the very last minute, uh, but everything uh, was, was great. The question is, um, when you think about the power to prepare, what's the tone of the invitation? What's the tone of what you hear in your head when you think about the future? Because it's so easy, I think, for me to, to envision John the Baptist wrong. It's so easy to picture him like an old guy sitting in a lawn chair with a pellet gun and saying, get off my lawn, you know? It's like he's kind of angry in tone. And you better stop doing all that stuff you're doing. Get your life together until God comes back, because when God comes home, you're going to be seriously busted if you don't change your life, right? That's the tone is angry. But I want to suggest to you that's a misreading of Mark's presentation of John the Baptist. I don't think that's his tone at all. And I'll give you three quick reasons why I say that. Uh, first of all, what's John's message? It's forgiveness. That's, that's what Mark tells us. He comes to, to, to proclaim a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And then second reason... Uh, he's quoting, John is quoting uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3. But if you look that up in your Bible in the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, read verses 1 and 2, you know what it says? Listen to the tone of this. God's saying, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to my people. Tell my people that their debt has been paid. That's good news. And John the Baptist definitely, definitely sees his life as the fulfillment of that promise in Isaiah 40. And so he is speaking comfort to God's people. He's speaking tenderly. He's speaking the good news. Your debt has been paid. This is a God who loves you. This reunion, as God is coming now in the person of Jesus Christ, is a love reunion. When we came home from Idaho, we didn't come home to evaluate how, how good our kids are at cleaning kitchens. We came to eat with them in the kitchen. That was what the preparation was about. It's not about trying to get our approval. It's about creating space for intimacy. We were not coming home to bust them. We were coming home to bless them, and God's not any different. So when you eavesdrop, you get the power to prepare. Would you eavesdrop again on yourself just now? 
What's the tone of the noise in your head? Is someone trying to bust you constantly? Or do you hear someone blessing you? Is God angry with you? Or is God thrilled with you? As the Scriptures say, do you know that He delights in you? Are you constantly trying to be somebody else, someone you're not, or are you content simply to live into the person that God created you to be, the unique person for whom He gave His Son, He valued you so much in love? Are you trying to be someone else or who you already are in Jesus Christ? What's the tone? The power to prepare. There's a third virtue in eavesdropping, and it's the opportunity, this is important, the opportunity to talk back. You can't answer a question you haven't heard. You can't respond to a claim or a charge that you haven't heard. And when you eavesdrop on yourself, you can hear what needs to be replied to and addressed so that you let the message go deep into your life. Notice verse 8. He will, that's Jesus' will, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. God wants to go deep in your life with this healing. This good news is meant to to touch you in the fiber of your being. And let me suggest, your life is shaped more by what you say than by what you hear. That's a mind bitterness. Let me say that again. Your life is shaped more by what you say to yourself than what you hear. You can hear a lot of stuff. You, You can always dismiss what you hear. But what you choose to hear and repeat to yourself, what you broadcast to yourself as though it were true, that impacts your life. Paul David Tripp wrote, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. That's interesting. And I got to say, as a preacher, I realize I have a problem because my commission is to share good news with you every week. But there's one thing standing in my way every week. And you know what it is? It's you. Because <laughs> if you come here and you hear good news, it can just bounce right off. You go, well, that's for somebody else. And, 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 you, and it's only if you walk out of those doors. I'm going to be quiet in about 20 minutes, right? But you're going to keep talking to yourself. You're going to be yap, yap, yapping inside your head all day today, all maybe even through the night, and you're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to be talking to you. And if you don't tell yourself good news, it doesn't matter what I say to you on Sunday. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. The Spirit who takes the the truth of the good news and works it not just in your hearing, but in your living. So often we focus on, on behavior, but Jesus wants us to focus on beliefs. He wants us to know what's true. Repentance is not just about doing different stuff. We think that. In the Old Testament, repentance, the word means to turn, to turn your life around. It is about doing different stuff, but in the New Testament adds another dimension to that. Metanoia is the Greek word. It means to change one's mind. One theologian says it's to alter one's understanding. It's to see a new context in which you make your decisions. It's to see the new possibility that's right there in front of you that Mark calls the good news of the gospel. 
And if you can really see it and really understand it, then certain decisions become obvious and others become completely unnecessary. Yes, it will change your life, but it will change your life because you change the substrate beneath your behaviors, that is, your beliefs. See what I'm saying? You biologists tell us that that life, the trajectory of biological life is set by a simple little teeny message we call DNA. One little script unfolds in a way that almost determines the outcome of a life. Well, I'm here to tell you that the gospel is that little message in your life, one little script. We have so many alternative scripts that we've been given to us by the culture, by our upbringing, by tough circumstances, most of all by the things that we've chosen to repeat to ourselves day after day after day, and that unwinds a trajectory of your life. And your life will not really change until you get to a place where you're telling yourself the good news of Jesus Christ in as many possible ways as you can think to do. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh physician and minister in London in the last century, once wrote this, and I love this quote, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Did you get that? Most of your unhappiness in life is because you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. And he says this when he's meditating on Psalm 42, verse 11. In Psalm 42, there's this refrain that gets repeated, and it says this. The psalmist says, speaking to himself, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Okay. Then he says immediately, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And this is Martin Lloyd-Jones' insight. For, For a moment... The psalmist is just lost in listening to himself. When he listens to himself, he's saying, oh, woe is me, all is lost. The news is just too bad. It's unsufferably bad. I'm going down. It's over. I have no hope. But then there's a a moment of transition. And he stops listening to himself just long enough to speak to himself, to speak good news to himself, to say, hope in God. For I shall again praise him. He is my help. He is my God. There's so much bad news in the world today. I mean, I, you felt this with me, I'm sure, this week. As we, again, it's another, it's another shooting in a school. It's, I think it's the 18th one this year, if I, if I remember correctly. And, and then we have loved ones who are passing away. And, uh, it's just heartbreaking to have to say goodbye to someone who's been so close to us. And maybe somebody comes to your mind as another couple people on my heart today. And then, and then, you know, there's just, for me anyways, there's the discouragement of the persistent recurring sin in my life, just my own brokenness. I'm like, oh my gosh, you again, this old friend, am I going to, am I going to continue to walk with you? And it's, it's all this bad news. But I stop myself and say, wait a minute. Yes, there's bad news, but does this have to be all the news that I listen to in my life? How much bandwidth exactly am I willing to give the bad news in my life and how much am I willing to give the good news? I mean, after all, we're all our own reporter. We are all broadcasters to ourselves. And I'm willing to say that I'm going to be much happier and I'm going to actually grow more that I'm going to like the trajectory of my life if I spend much more time focusing on the good news of Jesus, what is really true because of what God has done in Christ. Richard Lovelace writes this beautiful book about the Holy Spirit and spiritual renewal. It's kind of a classic. And he says, you know, the great doctrines of the gospel uh, will yield four messages. 
And, and, and I, I thought this was interesting and helpful in the context of this. The first message is you are accepted. Justification. Second message, you, you are delivered. Sanctification. You are not alone. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And you have authority. Spiritual confrontation. You are accepted, you are delivered, you are not alone, you have authority. Those four messages, wow, we ought to be saying that to ourselves all day long, every day, because that's the truth. That's the truth, or you don't have to believe anything about Jesus Christ, because these are the implications of the gospel. So let's, again, eavesdrop on ourselves. Press your ear to the keyhole of your heart. Linger by the open door just a moment and ask yourself, what messages do I speak into my own life? How much bandwidth do I give? What kinds of news? What do I tell myself really matters? Who is God? Who are you? What has God done? What has he promised to do? Do I believe? The virtues of eavesdropping taken together offer us hope in Jesus Christ, uh, hope in our lives. I, I received a letter recently from a woman who's learning to speak good news to herself. She's a woman who lives right now with a lot of hurt in her life. Her children are struggling through addiction and a medical crisis. She herself lives with MS, chronic pain, and loss. She now tells me she wakes up in the middle of the night worrying. And all of that is what she hears when she listens. But here's what she speaks to herself, and I thought this was so powerful. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's from Philippians. And at the end of her letter, she writes to me, I trust his plan and sovereignty over all of my life. I trust him. I give him my worries. I give him my fears. I know that he hasn't finished what, what he started. We are all works in progress in this life, and there is so much more to come. Isn't that great? The real hope she has. But I want to tell you, it's not just personal hope. This is also a global hope. Mark is talking about something that is not just going to give you peace inside and salvation when you die. He's talking about something that's going to change the world, and it's begun already. Let me just give you one quick illustration of that. Yale theologian Miroslav Volf wrote an article in which he talked about a blighted neighborhood in Baltimore called Sandtown. One day, Miroslav Volf was walking with a pastor who had been leading a community that had decided to live in Sandtown uh, for, its, for its good. And the pastor told the theologian that uh, the, the good news is transforming our city. And the theologian was surprised by that. How, how, is, how is a bit of theology able to do that? And here's what he realized. Wolf writes, imagine that you have no job, no money, you live cut off from the rest of society in a world ruled by poverty and violence. Your skin is, quote, unquote, the wrong color, and you have no hope that any of this will change. Around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement. Its gilded goods are flaunted before your eyes on TV screens, and in a thousand ways, society tells you every day that you're worthless because you have no achievement. You're a failure, and you know that you will continue to be a failure because there's no way to achieve tomorrow what you have not managed to achieve today. Your dignity is shattered. Your soul is enveloped in darkness of despair. But the gospel tells you 
that you are not defined by outside forces. It tells you that you count even more, that you are loved unconditionally and infinitely, irrespective of anything you have achieved or failed to achieve. Imagine now this gospel not simply proclaimed, but embodied in a community, justified by sheer grace. It seeks to justify by grace those declared unjust, quote-unquote, by a society's implacable law of achievement. Imagine, furthermore, this community determined to infuse the wider culture along with its political and economic institutions with the message that it seeks to embody and proclaim. This is justification by grace proclaimed and practiced. Hope for the world. See? Well, this six weeks, this 40 days, I'm inviting you to eavesdrop on one another. Dare I do that? In a church? Yes, I say, let's eavesdrop on one another. Let's help each other with what I call gospel fluency, hearing and speaking good news to ourselves and among ourselves. We need to help each other with that, don't we? If you want to learn a language, the best way to learn a language is to go and immerse yourself in a community that speaks it. And that's what we're going to be as a community together in our small groups. If we do... I have great confidence that in all the bad news, we might truly, to use Mark's words, become the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we are trying to understand how it is that the good news is is a good message, but that it is also so much more than that, that the good news is, as Mark says, about you, the Son of God, a person. Thank you for speaking of yourself, but thank you also for coming through your Holy Spirit into the life of any believer with power to transform us. Now, Jesus, through your Spirit, we implore you to be at home in our community, not just for our sakes, but for the common good as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.